Hello and welcome to True Free Audio, episode number one, April 27th, 2008. This week on True Free Audio, I'll be discussing the ins and outs of the Creative Commons license and what it actually means for us regular folk, not necessarily production people or those that release things under the Creative Commons license. And this week's featured artist is J.T. Bruce. J.T. Bruce is a metal, progressive rock, instrumental, guitar, heavy metal, melodic, progressive rock, experimental, and soundscape artist. It's a lot of information, but it means some pretty good music. We'll be listening to two, two of his songs later in today's broadcast. First, in uh, today's, well, not necessarily today's, but in this week's music news, uh, from... The Inaudible Herald, a lovely little blog that I discovered, uh, discusses basically the future of how artists may or may not release their tracks to radio stations or the public in general. Uh, basically describes how an artist may choose to release basically songs that reflect a current mood or idea or a point that they want to make, and it, an entire album will be about that. They won't try to create sales by varying an entire album. They will all reflect singular ideas. Now, this is a good idea if you like that kind of thing with uh, what Nine Inch Nail, Trent Reznor did, rather, with his Ghost soundtrack. But I'm not sure if it would really work for a lot of artists, uh, namely pop music. You aren't getting a lot of consent, like centralized ideas in pop music. While an album might be around a certain idea, not necessarily completely about that, it would be interesting to see full-on record labels promoting this. Basically, it would have to deviate from what standard records are today, which is you release a certain number of hit tracks that you know are going to be good ones, and you put in some that maybe may not necessarily think at that time that they're throwaways, but you basically put on other songs that you know won't be as good as hits or be as quality as some of the other songs you've released on that album. And oftentimes they don't necessarily reflect each other either. Uh, for example, oh, what's a good band? Um, let's just take, for example, Maroon 5. They have a few very depressing songs in some of their albums, but at the same time they also tend to have a lot of very up songs. It sends mixed messages in their album, but 
individually each song is not necessarily bad. You know, some people don't like Maroon 5, I was fetching for one, but um, other examples. Harkening back to the 90s, you have those boy bands that would release the four or five songs about the girls that they love, and a lot of other songs would be about maybe that girl leaving or something necessarily, like not necessarily them leaving, but, you know, the depressing bye-bye-bye song by the Backstreet Boys or uh, something along those lines. Not necessarily, you know, something that you want to get behind as a whole album, but a song that you can maybe relate to. And that's how artists generally write their albums. They write for songs, they write a bunch of songs that people can relate to on different levels. Different people relate to different songs, different songs get better ratings than others, and so on and so on. That way you have a balanced album that can sell a lot of, basically, records, and you can make money off that album. Now, if you focus primarily on two or three main ideas in an album, then if it doesn't appeal to a large audience, then perhaps it won't be as big of a hit. Now, I would find it almost hard to believe that a record company would go for that idea, but an individual artist who, let's say, is just in it to release their songs to the general pop public, or let's say an artist that wants to, I don't know, generate some buzz about a specific idea that they have in their head, like a uh, band that would come to mind pretty quickly, would be Rage Against the Machine. Let's say they want to do a very powerful, almost very political, not that half their albums aren't already very political, but let's say they wanted to focus on a political idea. They could do that with one album instead of just one song. Now, that would be hard to get behind, especially if you disagreed with that particular idea or what they're trying to say. So what you might see is polarization based on these album releases, but the overall artists might like them better. I'm not an art. I'm not necessarily every artist out there, so I can't speak for them. But it might be a good thing for them. Also, in this week's news, apparently, in I do believe Britain is where I read this to be, but. The Performing Rights Society is giving royalties to composers and songwriters and music publishers for basically YouTube royalties for YouTube appearances. Now, you can imagine if a particular, um, let's say, particular concert is very popular, it's a good concert band, say the Grateful Dead came back or something like that or the Grateful Dead were reincarnated, or something of their like that would attract thousands of people to a concert, and that concert got put up on YouTube. Now, before this deal, those guys would probably not get any money from it. However, if they were under the Performing Rights Society's distribution here, they could get royalties based on it. Now, that's big, especially if you do a lot of concerts that appear on YouTube. You can imagine the kind of money that you could make off that. Which stands to reason, if they're getting royalties from these now, does that mean that it's now legal? Question mark? Hmm. 
Guess we'll find that out in the future, won't we? Could be a trend for the future for record labels to start giving royalties for internet publications, not necessarily by the record labels, but by, let's say, the public. Now, let's also say that record labels aren't for that. Well, maybe they don't want to pay out, out their artists. But at the same time, does having those artists out in the public and have them being promoted basically for no cost out of pocket for the record labels mean a good thing for the record labels? Again, the future will find out. In somewhat older news, I guess you'd call it, because it's been out for a little while, but the Apple subscription option for their new, well, not necessarily new because it's not finalized, nor is it even confirmed in any aspects, but the Apple basic music leasing idea, in that you buy an iPod with a special premium on it, and my guess is you'd probably go to the iTunes store, enter in your iPod serial number, and they check their data banks or whatever for that subscription, and then you log in with that iPod, and it downloads to that iPod. Now, this would be an interesting solution to, let's say, people that don't necessarily want to pay their full 99 cents per song, or they want to download a lot of music, but they don't like the price point. However, at what point does that become a problem? Because you're looking at that, and then... Let's say your subscription runs out. All that music that's now on your iPod, you can't access, or it's deleted, in the worst case. And let's say you've had a bunch of playlists, or in some cases you have very specialized music in there that you didn't want to lose, or you were planning to use that music for something, and now it's gone. Well, that would be really annoying, but at the same time, it's a little different mindset that you would have to get into because I mean it's like buying a well it's a bad analogy to say buying a car because a car is a major investment uh, oftentimes people don't have the money to buy a car even at let's say budgeting options but let's say um, you're buying a computer there's a good one obviously fits this kind of crowd that I'm talking to so you're buying a computer now a lot of people will go out and buy a computer at base value, or just pay for it right there. Now, while that is probably the most cost-efficient way, a lot of people will rent out a computer. Um, I know there are services out there, I think Costco does that, or did this for a while. You could basically rent a computer for a while, and you would pay a small leasing fee, basically. Now, this leasing fee would more than likely add up to be less, and let's say your computer got outdated, which they do really quickly. You would go back to the store, and when your lease ran out, you'd hand them that computer, and you'd get a new one. In like the car leasing, if your car gets older, you exchange it, and you confirm it onto the next lease. Now, for a computer, that's a feasible option for a car, because those items go out of date. Music, on the other hand, 
doesn't necessarily go out of date to a specific person, rather. Now, what does that mean for the end user? I mean, the end user is looking at this and they're thinking, cool, I have unlimited downloads for basically a flatline fee that I have to pay maybe once or twice a year. That's great, but at the same time, that music, again, does not get outdated. You're not going to the store to buy an updated version of that song during the next, next subscription option. So then, what happens? I mean, if you forget to pay that subscription for a month, does your music go away? Is it inaccessible? Or is it deleted? Now, if it's deleted, that could cause a lot of problems. But I could see people not paying this, let's say, by accident, or, again, just forgetting that the music that they're downloading is not necessarily theirs, but they're renting it for a while. And again, what happens if, you're, if you try to exchange your iPod, or if your iPod gets stolen or lost? If it downloads directly to the iPod, you've just not only lost your iPod, but you've lost all your music. It's those kind of things, because music is a non, I guess you could say, it's a non-renewable substance, a consumer good that you cannot upgrade. You can get a higher bitrate encoding of a specific song, but that song is still that song. It will be that song from that moment it's recorded and put on, let's say, iTunes, to the moment it, it passes into the ether in the future infinitely far in the future, it will be that song forever. And that song will not be replaced by a better version of that song, or a song of that type with a better processor, or a better engine in that song. It's going to be that song. Classical music in the, from the Renaissance, classical music from the Baroque period is still classical music from the Baroque period. It's not I mean, you might get the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but that's a different song. It may be a cover, but it's still a different song. So in that regard, I would find it almost unfeasible to have a recording or a music store that leases down music to an end user. It just doesn't seem like a practical solution to a problem. Now, they might catch a bunch of people with the unlimited downloads aspect, but at the same time, that unlimited download is not necessarily saying that you're downloading that music to your computer so you can listen to anywhere. Now, again, this new story is basically an echo chamber rumor mill. It keeps bouncing around everywhere. So, I don't think it's going to make it into finalization, but you never know. I mean, two years from now, we might be looking at iPods with subscription options. Guess we'll find out in the future. And those were the news stories from this last week. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of our show, this week's featured artist is J.T. Bruce, the metal, progressive, rock, instrumental, guitar, heavy metal, melodic, progressive, experimental soundscape artist. Uh, JT Bruce, by his profile here on Gemendo, which is a, as I've found it, a really good site for 
uh, Creative Commons music. Uh, it's got a lot, I think, over in the order of 8,000 some odd albums, maybe 8,400 some. Uh, and here's the description for the album that I'm looking at, The Dreamer's Paradox. The Dreamer's Paradox is the second album by J.T. Bruce. It shows a strong maturation and development of the style and tone achieved by Animalis material, resulting in increased production quality, comp compositional strength, and diversity. Fans of Animalis material will undoubtedly enjoy this release, but the album's depth and scope will also appear to a much wider audience of varying musical tastes. Backing vocals are featured in one track and spoken words in another. Being a concept album, The Dreamer's Paradox prominently features recurring musical themes, acting as characters in, in a musical drama. The evolving and sub subtle themes interact with one another and are revisited throughout the album's length, creating the progress and mood akin to the telling of a story. Now, the entire album is 74 minutes and 22 seconds, and I'll be playing two of those songs... Plunge into Hyperreality and Life by Proxy. Two songs from the album. Plunge into Hyperreality is number three. Life by Proxy is number six on the album. And here is Plunge into Hyperreality by J.T. Bruce.
That was Plunge into Hyperreality by J.T. Bruce from the album The Dreamer's Paradox. I'll be putting in the show notes to, for this week's episode links to J.T. Bruce, The Dreamer's Paradox, and Gemendo where you can download those. Now, all in all saying, remember this is released under the Creative Commons license, so it's not illegal. Uh, this site is not like eSnips was, where there are often and almost always artists that aren't the artists on there. eSnips was is a prime example of that, and I'll be going to that into later in the show. But now, next, Life by Proxy. Track number six from The Dreamer's Paradox. Thank you. 
That was Life by Proxy from The Dreamer's Paradox by J.T. Bruce. Probably heard me say that enough times already. Yeah. Moving on in our show. Up next, I will talk a little bit about the Creative Commons license. What it actually means for you, the end user or artist, if you will. Now, on my blog, you can see the very first post, a link to the Creative Commons website, creativecommons.org. Basically there they tell you what Creative Commons is, but I'm going to break it down a little bit. Creative Commons is, I guess you could call it, a, a type of repository. Artists can send their music into this great void that is Creative Commons, and they can send it in there without general full-on copyright restrictions. Uh, all rights reserved, for example. Um, Creative Commons enables you to download them off the internet, burn them to CDs, do whatever you want to them, so long as you, A, don't make a profit off of it, and based on the type of Creative Commons license you will choose for your work, whether anyone that downloads, acquires, or finds your song in any manner, can edit it and redistribute it. Creative Commons, I guess you could say, is kind of the internet culture wrapped up into what it should be, and what the internet culture should be, and what it wants to be. It wants to be basically this giant open source pull-down thing where end users get the benefits and artists get recognition. They aren't being completely destroyed, at the, but at the same time, they're not getting paid for this most of the time. And they can release their music, get known, get well-known, rather, and they can flourish. They can go and do what they want to do, and they don't have to worry about record labels breathing down their necks or worrying about distribution channels. The internet is their distribution channel in most cases. So you can imagine the advantages to an artist if they want to go into the Creative Commons licensing ideal. However, you're not going to make nearly as much money, supposedly, if you go through Creative Commons. However, if you go through a record label, 
you may get the marketing strategies, the release capabilities, the CD and the album distributions. You'll get put out there much better than you would by word of mouth most of the time because word of mouth spawns often from what record labels will do to promote their artists. But at the same time, you also have to pay for that. I mean, they take a good cut of your money. If you make, let's say, uh, an album, and that album sells for $14, the record label will take about 8 to 10 of those $14, and, well, you'll probably actually make about $0.65 cents an album by the time you're done. That's what most artists make on an album. So you're going to not be making a terrible lot. If you sell a couple million albums, that's a lot of money and greed. But that's not necessarily getting rich or being wealthy. There is a difference. However, if you sell, let's say, a thousand albums at $4 each, but you sell it through, let's say, download versions, and you sell it off your website, say you have fairly limited hosting, and you only pay $11 or $12 a month for your hosting. But you make $4 an album, because that's what you're selling it at. Well, you've just sold a 1,000 albums. That's $4,000. Equivalently, you'd have to sell 10 times as many albums through a record label than you would through your own distribution channels. Now, that's not saying that everyone's going out there and selling a thousand albums, or that everyone in the record industry is making, or that you can promote your album that much, or that the record labels will take necessarily that exact amount. But you're looking at selling your album for what you cost and what you cost to make it. Not for what a record label determines the price is and what you get as a royalty cut for it. Now, it's, there's a lot of other ways to make money in that regard that record labels can negotiate, like playing on radios, um, movie spots, that kind of thing. That Most people generally can't just go into a radio station and say, hey, can you play my song and give me a royalty for it? That generally doesn't happen. Radio stations will pay record labels of subsidiary fees that allow them to play music, and... Basically, they go off and do it. I mean, the record labels take a cut of that, and they give the artists royalty checks for the playing of their songs. They're featured in movies. Artists make off pretty well for that. Um, so you're not looking at necessarily the greatest range of attribution and channeling for standard record for standard Creative Commons distribution. You're not you're not looking at the breadth that a record label will get would give an artist. However, for us end users, we much rather prefer the Creative Commons license because that means we get our music for free. Now, there's many ways that you can promote a Creative Commons artist. One being saying to your friends, hey, go check this guy out or this girl out and see what they do. I mean, you might like their music, you might not, but you're still promoting them. That your friend might promote that person further. It's basically word of mouth throughout the world, basically. And what better place to have word of mouth than the internet? I mean, in the internet age, it's basically word of mouth for the whole thing. 
Web 2.0. It's social networking. Friends talking to friends about thought about thoughts and things. You have a Creative Commons song. Let's say you post a Creative Commons song on, say, MySpace, and it gets huge. Like, Internet Mame, huge. Um, you're looking at huge, huge desire for your song. Huge renown. Stuff that most artists under record labels would kill for, or even record labels themselves would kill for. Just that kind of ease of distribution. In a sense, record labels do count on word of mouth because without it, there wouldn't be much sales in music. People wouldn't hear about certain artists and they wouldn't get the fame that they would deserve or would garner if they didn't have, there was no word of mouth. But on the internet, things tend to flow and they flow pretty fast downstream. I mean, you have one person that finds a song, they give it to their friend, their friend gives it to their friend, their friend sends it to 13 of their friends, and you can see where it grows. I've sent songs to friends, and I've gotten songs back hundreds of times, and I would say about 85% of those songs I didn't like. I'm not going to lie there. I don't like a lot of what my friends listen to. But at the same time, I might fall in love with a Creative Commons artist like I did for, uh, what was a good one? Well, let's take Trent Reznor. I know he's not necessarily a Creative Commons artist because he did charge for his album. But I heard Ghosts 1 through 5, and I enjoyed them greatly. So I went out and got the album. Now, that album wasn't free. But it goes to show that word of mouth works. I mean, even... Then again, if Trent Reznor, again, wasn't Trent Reznor and he wasn't well-known, then he probably wouldn't have made off that 1.2 million or billion or whatever that number was that he did make off that album. But he didn't have to go through, let's say, a record label to do it. The record labels may have made Trent Reznor, but Trent Reznor made that album, and he made a lot of money off that album. Now, let's say you have a band that's a Creative Commons band. Let's say Trent, not Trent Reznor, but... Um, okay, let's, let's picture Trent Reznor as a Creative Commons artist. A not-so-thriving Creative Commons artist. So, he's sitting around one day, and he decides to make a really long basically lossless audio file, or not file, but an album. 30-some-odd songs long, puts it up on the internet, says, here, give it to your friends. Let's say this album happens to be the best album you've ever heard. It's whatever your niche is. You go off and you listen to that album. You tell your friend, hey, I found this really cool album. Listen to it. Here, I'll give you a copy, and you give it to your friend. Now... Let's say your friend loves, like, four or five of those songs. He'll pass on those songs to his friend. I mean, while it may not be the whole album, that artist is now known by at least three people. By one person getting the entire album, sending it to their friend, their friend like four or five of the songs, and so on. And that way you'll actually end up basically propagating your song titles out into the world. Now... 
not necessarily will everyone be that successful, that they'll get huge distribution because they got the right people to listen to their song, or that they were making the right kind of song at the right kind of time, or anything like that, or it was featured in something. But perhaps, I guess you could call that luck, basically, but I consider luck skill at an opportune time. So maybe these guys just have skill. They go out and they make good music that people like. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making good music that people like, right? It's enjoyable. People love that kind of stuff. Make it. However, on the internet, you can't necessarily appeal to a grand audience if you want to be successful. If you try to do that, you'll end up overgeneralizing yourself and you'll fall in through the cracks. Uh, I can't think of any because, well, they would have fallen through the cracks and I wouldn't have heard of them. However, if you appeal to a niche market, you're gold. You appeal to, let's say, oh, um, hmm, what's a good niche market? Let's say you make heavy metal, like hardcore heavy metal, that kind of stuff. You're appealing to a fairly specific, not necessarily general, but a specific audience. If that audience likes your music, you're good. However, you might get some cross you might get some crosses. I mean, someone that might like hard rock might fall in love with your album, give it to his or her friends, and then that gets distributed that way. So you can't really say that you'll only appeal to a specific artist, to a specific user and user brand. But if you put your music in enough places, if you promote it, not you don't have to put a lot of energy behind it, but if an artist puts a good bit of effort into the making of the music, then by virtue, they'll get out there. But basically, that's Creative Commons in a nutshell. It's open source for the music world. And with that... Looking at the clock, I see that I've run over a little bit than my projected 30 minutes. So, I'd like to thank you for listening to the inaugural first episode of True Free Audio. It'll be a weekly broadcast almost every Sunday, unless I have a trip or something. But, thank you for listening. Remember, word of mouth is the most powerful promotion tool you will ever encounter. In fact... Some might even argue, I would argue, that word of mouth is the only promotional tool and that you have to depend on people spreading word for you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.